thought we'd have a little fun this morning. After all, it is my birthday, right? And uh, in light of that, I thought we'd bake a cake. Because everyone ought to have a birthday cake. Y'all know my wife is uh, still uh, recovering from her surgery, doing extremely well, so I got to bake my own birthday cake. And uh, that's all right. But I want to use this as a, uh, as a wonderful illustration of a, of a truth uh, in Scripture. Now, some of you that have been around here for a while, uh, this is actually the third time I've given this message. The first time was literally over 20 years ago uh, when I gave this message here at Edgewood. And then the... Uh, Last time I gave it was a little over, right around 10 years ago, at a pregnancy center conference for one of our uh, sessions. But uh, it's a beautiful illustration, and even if you've seen this before, uh, the truth, I trust, will reinforce your heart. heart. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8. Let's look at the truth first, and then we'll see it illustrated in baking a cake. And I, let me say right off the bat, I appreciate our uh, two-year-old department. They loaned me their stove. Uh, it is an operational stove. I checked it out yesterday. Believe me, it works very well, and you'll attest to that before we conclude today. But uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, a couple of very familiar verses, verses 28 and 29. It says, And we know... And, of course, this is referring to believers. We as believers, as the children of God, we know that for us, that God causes all things to work together for, what's that next word? Good. Uh, To those who love God. uh, To those who are called according to His purpose. Just synonyms for those who are believers, because believers love God. Believers are those who have been called according to His purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Now, let me just mention three things uh, about those verses, uh, just briefly before we get into the illustration. First, he's speaking to the family of God. He's speaking to his children. He's giving them this wonderful promise, this wonderful guarantee. It does not say that God causes everything that happens on planet earth. That would be a terrible distortion of God's sovereignty. It would be to malign and impugn God's character. There's much that happens on planet earth that is against God's will. It's for that reason when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray that God's will would be done on earth even as it is in heaven. So it's very obvious that often man's will is in opposition to God. And also we know we have an adversary that is very alive and well, the devil, who's at work fighting uh, God's purposes. So it doesn't say that God causes everything that happens. God does not cause evil. Matter of fact, you go to the book of James, and it talks about the fact that God is so good, He's so pure, He can't even tempt someone uh, to do anything that is evil. So God does not cause everything that happens, but it says for His child, He has the ability to what? Cause everything, the good and the bad, the nice and the yucky, to work all together for our good. The second thing that I want you to notice is the reason that is true. The reason that is true is because God, as it says in verse 29, has predestined that his child 
will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that we will be made like Jesus in character, conduct, attitudes, and values. Now, that word predestined, prohorizo in the Greek text, and I've shared this at other times in messages, it has two fundamental meanings. Now, the first meaning is a predetermined outcome. In other words, in this context, God has predetermined that the outcome, the end result of a believer's faith in Him will be to be made like Jesus Christ. And you begin that process when you place your faith in Christ. For me, it was September 20th, 1970. I know uh, Andy uh, Johnston shared his testimony uh, last Sunday night when we ordained him. I believe he was uh, converted at, what you say, nine, ten years of age. Well, when we place our faith in Christ, uh, we begin that process. And, of course, that process will not be complete until when? When we see Jesus face to face. And when we become truly pure as He is pure. Where we're not only delivered from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but the very presence of sin. And we become uh, as He is in purity of character and, and conduct. So God says, that's the reason all things work for the good of my children, because I have predetermined that the outcome of their faith will be made, will be be, to be made like me. That word prohorizal, the second meaning, has the idea of placing a boundary around something. This is where we get the concept prohorizal, horizon. This is where we get the very concept of a hedge of protection, or a, a wall of protection around God's child. And so when you put these verses together, this is what it's saying, and it's probably the most precious truth that any believer could ever embrace. If you're a child of God, God has put a hedge around you. He's put a boundary around you. The, the illustration I always love to use, uh, it may be a little humorous, but I think it, it, it really communicates the, the picture. Uh, you know, when our children were small growing up, uh, we went through probably a million hamsters. I mean, we just killed them off about as quick as we could, we could get them. And uh, any of you had hamsters, one of the things you can get for them, which is really cool, you ever seen that glass ball? And you stick that little hamster in that glass ball, and then you just put him on the floor, and he can go wherever he wants, you know, running into everything. It's a little protective covering. Well, that's sort of the picture of what the, the God has done for the believer. He, he, he's put you in the bubble uh, of His love. He's surrounded you on every side by His presence and His grace and His might and His power. And in this passage, he's giving you a guarantee. He's saying, I've placed limitations on your life. Because I have predetermined that the outcome of your faith will be, made to, be to be made like Jesus, I put limitations on your life. I put boundaries on your life. I'm not going to let anything get through that hedge, get through that protective covering, and touch your life. No person, no circumstance, no anything, unless I know I can ultimately use for your good. But the third thing I want you to notice is what? Good in this context is what? Being made like Jesus Christ. It's not comfort. It's not convenience. It's all about what? Character. It's all about being made like Jesus. So this beautiful truth is, beautiful promise to a believer, beautiful guarantee is that the moment you placed your faith in Jesus, He predetermined that the outcome of that faith, He guaranteed the outcome. The final, final result would be you would be made like Jesus Christ. 
We enter that process when we come to know Christ. That process is complete when we see Him face to face. In light of that predetermined outcome, He's not going to let anything touch me. No person, no circumstance, no issue. Unless He knows He can use it to ultimately accomplish His purpose of building Christ's character in me. Let me just give you a quick example, then we'll move to our illustration. Just so you can be thinking how this works in real life. Here I am. God has put a protective hedge about me. But His primary goal is not my comfort, not my, what's convenient to me, but my character to make me like Jesus. So, I know Jesus, for example, is love. God is love. Jesus is God. Jesus is love. I go to 1 Corinthians 13, which gives me a description of God's kind of love, which also would be a description of who God is. And in verse 4, I read right off the bat, love is long-suffering and is kind. So here am I, and I am as a believer. God's goal is to make me like Jesus. God's goal is to teach me to love as Jesus loved, because that is who Jesus is. And His love is long-suffering and kind. So because that is God's goal in my life, to teach me that, what will He allow to penetrate that hedge and touch my life? Some very difficult circumstances. Sometimes some very difficult people in relationships. He'll put me in a position where I have to suffer long. Because it's only as I suffer long do I have the opportunity to learn the quality of what? Long suffering. Of bearing up under the suffering and maintaining my trust in God. And not only suffering long, but as I suffer, continue to be kind. So because God loves me, not because God hates me, there will be times in my life will he will, that He will allow to penetrate that bubble of His love, that heads of protection, some very painful circumstances in my life because He wants to make me like Jesus. He wants to give me the opportunity to learn to suffer long as Jesus suffered long and in the midst of my suffering not to become bitter but to become kind and tender and sensitive towards others. You go a little bit further in that same uh, chapter. It says, love is not easily provoked. This is who God is. He's not easily provoked. He's not easily made angry. And God wants to teach Andy Merritt that quality, which is not naturally me. And so what will he allow to get through that hedge and touch my life? Again, some very irritating people and some very irritating circumstances to give me the opportunity to learn a love that's not easily provoked, a love that does not easily blow the fuse or retreat by clamming up in resentment and sulking. Go a little further in the chapter, and it says, Love does not take into account wrong suffered. Love's ability to forgive. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is love. His love is forgiving and merciful. And He wants to teach me to be merciful and forgiving. So because He loves me, not because He hates me, what will He allow to penetrate that hedge and touch my life? Some hurts. Some deep wounds. And the deeper the hurt, the deeper the wound, the greater the injustice, the greater the opportunity to learn deeper depths of Christ's love. To learn to forgive as He forgave. 
goes on and says, love what? Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Well, if that's God's goal in my life, what is He going to allow to come into my life as a school teacher? He's going to bring me into circumstances where from my perspective I can't bear it any longer. I'm just at the end of my resources. Where from my perspective, I, you know, all hope's gone. I, I, I just don't think I can endure another moment. Where from my perspective, it disappears that I have failed. And God says, I have you right where I need you. Because it's only when you're at that place of utter despair, destitution, dependence, and brokenness that I can teach you a love that bears all things. It continues to place its confidence in the grace of God, which births hope and the ability to continue to endure in the most difficult of circumstances. And that's why love never fails. Now, let me illustrate the truth in baking my birthday cake. Uh, have you ever thought about all the yucky things that are necessary in baking a cake. In other words, things that you would never eat in and of themselves, by themselves, but when you put them in the mix and stir it up and bake it, it's delicious. And my simple point is, God is the master chef in your life. And God wants to make a good cake out of your life. But in doing that, He's going to need to bring a lot of yucky ingredients, and let me demonstrate it for you. I need an assistant. Chris, come on up here. I'll let you assist me. Actually, the uh, 10 years ago when I gave the message at the Pregnancy Center Conference, you were my assistant. You were much younger at that time, uh, but let's try to... you think we can do this together? Yes. You think we can? Yes. Okay. Did you bring the recipe? That's all right, because your dad is a master chef. I got it right here, right? Got it right here. Okay, here's a pan. The first thing we need, oh, just so you know, oven's already been preheated 350 degrees. Did that before the service. Let's go ahead. You know, all that, uh, let's get this stuff where you can see it better, Chris. There we go. Let's go ahead. I, you know, that all that flour greasing the pan, all that stuff. Shoot, when you can buy Pam. I just use Pam. Okay, we need to start. My, my recipe, first two cups of flour. You see, that's the flour right there. And have the uh, sugar ready and the cocoa. I'm going to get that next. Now, folks, would anybody right now like to eat straight two cups of flour? I mean, it, this stuff is what? Pretty dry, uh, pretty bland, and uh, reality is there are a lot of things in life that are what? Very dry, uh, very bland, and my simple point, uh, this stuff alone, eaten, would be yucky, but in the recipe it is necessary. Yucky, but what? Necessary. So, oh yeah. Okay, so we got our flour. Now we need the sugar. We got two cups of sugar. Now, a lot of you would say, now, 
Sugar's pretty good. It's pretty sweet. And that is true. And we are very, very thankful that uh, God not only uses the bad to mix into our life, He uses what? The good. Uh, there is much sweetness in life. But let me ask you a question. Anybody want to try eating two cups of sugar straight? Um, too much of a good thing, too much sweets can what? Be very damaging, be very hurtful uh, for you. But we're thankful for the sweet things that God brings into our life. And then the, uh, uh, the cocoa crystal right there. And my recipe calls for a fourth of a cup of cocoa. Now, I remember when I was a little kid, I'd see my mother cooking with this stuff. And I thought, you know, and I'd, I'd see its color. I knew it, you know, it was the chocolate. And I loved chocolate, anything that was chocolate. And so I remember uh, one day slipping into the kitchen figuring, this stuff must be delicious. <laughs> you know, if, if, if this is what makes everything taste so good. But let me tell you, folks, from experience, I can tell you, eaten by itself, this stuff is yucky. But in the recipe, it is necessary, very, very necessary, because we are baking a chocolate cake, since that is one of my favorites. And there's a fourth of a cup. So we need to get all of that. And remember, we got to mix it all together, just like God does. He mixes and he stirs the sweet with the dry, the sweet, the good with the yucky. Okay, next, Crystal. I'm going to need the, uh, it's over here, the butter. You know, and if, if you had been on top of it, assistant, you would have probably melted this before this... Uh, we came to this point, but don't fear. I have the ability. We'll make it work, Cressa. We're going to get that in there. Oh, yeah. Uh, not only the butter, uh, we're going to need a cup of water. And here we got our water. You attest that's water. And by the way, the butter, of course, you know its color. Again, it, I'm, I'm, this is true confessions how idiotic I was as a kid. I, I love vanilla pudding. And one day I mistook a, a, a stick of butter for pudding. And I can attest, if you take a whole big old spoonful of butter and jam it in your mouth, thinking it's pudding, you suddenly find it's yucky. <laughs> it's yucky, but necessary. And then water. And of course, uh, water is necessary for the recipe, and water is a good thing. And, uh, and when I think of water... You know, I think of something that is necessary, uh, things that we have to have every day. And let's be honest, uh, much of life, if not most of life, is very what? Mundane and routine and uh, monotonous. Uh, we get up every day. We uh, uh, have to put our own clothes every day, hopefully bathe once in a while, uh, eat. There are a lot of things you just you can't escape uh, that uh, are just mundane, and that goes in the uh, recipe as well. And then a half a cup of oil. Is the oil around there? See if the oil is around there, Chris. Now I can attest, would anybody, anybody want to come up here and just jug this down? And then maybe if you need your uh, pipes greased a little bit, uh, your irregular or something, it might help. But uh, my recipe, but I can tell you it's yucky, but what? Necessary. So we get a half a cup and we put it in there. And then, uh, okay. and then let's keep stirring this. Oh, yeah, that butter is working out. It, it was left overnight, so. 
Oh, yeah. Is that looking good? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. We're stirring it up good. Okay, what's, ne- what's next, Chris? So we need a half a cup of buttermilk. Now, folks, I know some of you like buttermilk, but I think you're crazy if you do. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be very honest. This is another true confession. I had never tasted buttermilk until I bought this carton yesterday. Uh, that's why you see a little bit of, of it gone. I'm telling you, folks, this stuff is yucky, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know why anybody would drink buttermilk. I know many of you like it, but it's, uh, if you know what buttermilk is, it's sour milk. And, uh, and it is sour, believe me. And my recipe calls for a half a cup of uh, buttermilk, and so we'll put it in there. Stuff that, ooh, even to look at it, ooh. Uh, yucky, but what? Necessary, necessary. That's exactly right. And then next, what do we have? A, a teaspoon of baking soda. A teaspoon of baking soda. You want to get the baking soda right there? Now, this stuff is what? Salty. And uh, doesn't taste very good. It removes orders. If you have an upset stomach, it can help with that. But uh, I don't think anybody would want to jug down this uh, uh, box of uh, baking soda. It's yucky, but what? Necessary. Necessary. Okay, we got the milk in there, and we got the baking soda in there. Hey, yeah, that's looking really good. It's going to be good, Crystal. We're going to enjoy ourselves after this service, believe me. It's going to be a great cake. I can tell. Yeah, you can tell. Okay. And then I need, uh, could you hold this for me, please? Two eggs. Can I break this on your head? No. Okay, I won't. Don't want. We got two eggs. We want to get it. Oh, wait, hold that. I'm going to put the shells back in there. Okay. All right. Now, anybody like to eat raw eggs? Uh, my father, my father, uh, as you all know, was career Air Force, and one of his uh, great distinctions was that in his squadron, they had a, a raw uh, egg eating contest, and he won that contest by eating the most raw eggs. But unless you're my dad or unless you're Rocky Balboa, uh, if you saw the movie, you know what I'm talking about, uh, I think most of you would say raw eggs eaten of themselves are what? Yucky, but for the recipe, necessary. So we got to stir them in there real good. Get all that in there. And then what's the next thing in our recipe? Oh, vanilla. Vanilla. Again, going back to my uh, childhood days, uh, my mother was a great cook. And uh, my Aunt Alice is a great cook. And uh, uh, I would see them use this vanilla. And have you ever smelt this stuff? I mean, it's divine. It's heavenly, heavenly. And again, I was a precocious little kid, and I said, something that smells that good, and it's used in bacon, it's got to be delicious. And I remember sneaking again into the kitchen one day as an idiot, taking this thing off and jugging this down and thought I was going to die. Because if you don't notice, this stuff is, what, 35% alcohol. And uh, I did think I was literally going to die as a, as a child. So although by itself it would be yucky, it's what? Necessary for the recipe. And my recipe calls for a teaspoon of vanilla. And that is the recipe. That is my recipe. Uh, I have no problems if uh, any of you would like to uh, borrow uh, the recipe. Go home. Be glad to write it down for you. Okay, now we've got to stir it, Chris. We've got to stir it good. Really, really good. 
You think that's good? Yes. You think it's ready to be put in the pan? Maybe. Maybe. No, I think it is. Okay. Now, there we go. And then let's put it in the pan. That looks good. Will you assist me by opening the, the lid there? Let's put it in there. We already got it set for 350. Close it up. Well, thank you, Krista. Give her a hand, folks. Good assistance. Now, folks, just think with me just for a moment, because it takes a few minutes, of course, for the cake to bake, right? Um, think with me just several Bible characters. Think of Joseph. You know, God had given Joseph a wonderful vision, uh, a wonderful promise that he would be a, a, a great leader, that even his brothers would bow down and serve him. But instead of his brothers bowing down and serving him, what happened initially? His brothers came this close to killing him, sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt, which was the world empire of that day, became a slave in Potiphar's house. You remember falsely accused, falsely accused of attempting to violate Potiphar's wife, and he was thrown in an Egyptian prison, which would have been the worst of circumstances, a dark, dunsey situation where he languished there for years. And there's really, I mean, we don't know, but there's no record of God uniquely speaking to him in that period of darkness and despair and silence. We don't know all that was going on in this young man's heart, but he's human just like you and I are human, and we often become perplexed in our pain and circumstances that just seem to have no rhyme or reason in light of what God has told us or promised us previously. And he had to have been struggling with, you know, why, you know, what's going on? You know, has is, is God uh, ab- abandoned me? But let's check. Oh. Cake's not done, is it? The cake's not done. And you want to make sure what? You don't give up too quick on God. And give God the time to cause all things to work together for your good. Think, think with me of uh, Naomi. Remember Naomi and her husband and sons, uh, they left Israel, went into Moab during a time of drought and uh, famine. Uh, she not only lost her husband, but she lost both of her sons after they had uh, married. Uh, and by the way, her son's name was Malon and Kilion, which in the Hebrew means sickly and weakly. Who would name their kids sickly and weakly? Uh, I mean, what did, I guess what would you expect that they were going to die? But anyway, uh, they died. And of course, uh, uh, after several years, uh, Naomi returns. You know the story. She returns uh, to her hometown of Bethlehem uh, with Ruth, which was one of her daughter-in-laws, both women widows. And if you're familiar with the story, as she's coming into her hometown, although there have been some years that have gone by, the people come out, and they, know, they recognize this is Naomi. And a large crowd began to gather, gather. And they said, look, this is Naomi. It's Naomi. And then Naomi turns on them, and she says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And what you need to understand, in the Hebrew, Naomi means pleasant one. Mara means bitter. 
And she says, do not call me the pleasant one any longer. You call me Mara. You call me bitter. You know why? Because God, the almighty God, has dealt bitterly with me. She says, I went out full and now I come back empty. God has witnessed against me. He has dealt bitterly with me. Folks, she was in the call of just discouragement and deeper than that, angry with God. I mean, just angry with God for the loss of her husband, for the loss of her sons, for the loss of all her wealth and possessions, coming back empty with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and, and she's literally just almost with the fist up to God's face. But let's look in the oven. Oh, guess what? Cake's not done. The cake's not done. And see, it would have been a terrible tragedy if she would have given up on God. And the lesson is, we have to be patient again in life. And yes, there are a lot of things that are yucky that God will allow to come into the recipe, but He only does it because He's thinking ultimately of your good. And the master chef has the ability to cause the yucky and the good to be mixed together to bake a beautiful cake that in the end is good and in the end is delicious and makes you the unique person that you are with the heart that you have and the tenderness that you have and the compassion for other people and the love for the Lord Jesus uh, Christ. Uh, how about Job? Job loses all of his wealth. He loses all ten of his children. He loses his self-respect. His wife tells him, just curse God and die. He loses his health. On top of all that, he has his comforters that are telling him, you know, this is because there's sin in your life and lack of faith in your life. And if you're familiar with the book of Job, I don't know that you can find any character in the Bible that ever became more angry with God than Job. I mean, much of Job is just him railing against God. I mean, he literally mourns, what, the day of his birth. He said, he, he prayed, oh, that I would have been a miscarriage and would never have seen the light of day. And he, and he rails against God. Why have you become my enemy? Why are you out to destroy me? Uh, there, you know, he, he begins to question, God, it doesn't seem that you, you're, you care. It doesn't seem that you're fair. You know, we've always talked about your love and justice. Well, I just don't see it. And man, he's screaming, he's yelling, he's crying. I think we ought to check. Guess what? The cake's not done. It's too early to pull it out. Think of the children of Israel at the Red Sea. God delivers them from Egypt, from slavery. And, and he wants to lead them into the promised land. But old Pharaoh, with that hard heart, he comes after them. And now they're trapped. They got the Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army behind them. Egypt is the world empire of that day. Here's the greatest military force on planet Earth after them. This is a motley crew of several million men, women, and children that do not have the weapons of warfare at this time, are not prepared to put up a fight at this time. And you remember the response of the people? I mean, they, get, they begin to panic in their fear. 
And then they begin to rail against Moses. I mean, why did you take us out of Egypt just to die in this wilderness? We'd prefer right now to be back in Egypt, serving the Egyptians than to suffer the fate we're about to suffer. But let's check. Guess what? The cake's not done. The cake's not done. God is still stirring. God, after He stirs and mixes it, He puts it in the oven of His, what? Affliction, that refining fire. And it takes time to bring about the, what? The finished product. And we have to be patient with God. Now, how about you? How about you? Where are you struggling? Where are you hurting? Where are you in perplexity? Uh, Questioning God. Having a hard time with all the yucky things that God has allowed to come into your life at this time. Well, maybe we ought to check. Guess what? God's not finished yet. And see, don't make the mistake of giving up on God too quick. One of the greatest challenges for every believer is to trust God's heart even when you cannot trace His hand. And there are many times in life when we cannot trace God's hand. It makes no rhyme or reason But the question is, will I put my trust in God's heart? Will I believe His promise that He will not allow anything to touch me unless He ultimately can use it for my good? Therefore, it gives me the encouragement to hang on in trust and faith in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my perplexity, believing that in the end, God will demonstrate his ability to bring out a good cake. It's even fascinating in James chapter 5, most of you are familiar with this verse, it says when we consider Job, it says when we consider his sufferings and his endurance, because although he, he struggled and he had a lot of ups and downs, he, did he maintain his faith? Yes, remember he made that great statement, though God slay me, I will what? I will trust me. I will trust him. And he, and he makes a statement. He says, you know, uh, I can't perceive God when I look this way. I can't perceive him when I look back. I can't perceive him to my left or to my right. I mean, I've, I've totally lost sight of God. But, but then he makes a statement. But although I've lost sight of God, God knows where I am. God knows the path that I take. And then he makes this great statement. And when God has finished using the refining fire, I'll come out as what? Gold. Purified and refined. Come out a good cake. So that is the question for each of us this morning. Because we're each dealing with adversity from one end to the other. It may be a new baby creating sleeping problems. It could be something as severe as Jeremy Williams back there, struggling with his ALS. 
It could be a relational breakdown, a financial situation. It could be a million and one different things. But my encouragement is to trust God because when He's finished, when He's finished with it all, God makes good cakes. Amen? I told you it really worked. And notice, notice when God makes the cake, it comes out decorated, iced, everything already. That's the supernatural aspect of it all. But God makes good cakes. So, so I trust, I trust you find in, encouragement in that. Uh, I wanted us to have fun this morning, uh, but at the same time, I, I want it to be meaningful uh, to each of us that are present, because I know if you're not going through difficulty and adversity now, it's right around the corner, because it's inescapable, it's inevitable living on planet Earth that is fraught. Uh, with so much pain and injustice, sickness and evil, uh, misunderstanding and wrongs and hurts and, and wounds. And uh, we have to maintain our confidence that God is good. And because God is good, He has determined that the outcome of our faith will be good in making us like Jesus. But let me also say as we move into our invitation, we have to cooperate with God in this process. Don't miss this. It's not necessarily automatic, at least on this side of eternity. In other words, you can waste your sorrows. You can waste your trials by instead of trusting God, becoming bitter with God, and actually missing out on the good cake God planned for you. Great example. Let's go back to our study of Hebrews. And again, for those of you that have missed recently, I basically just suspended our study of the book of Hebrews to the first of the year, just because of continuity, because of all the special things. So in January, we'll pick that study back up, looking at chapters 11, 12, and 13. Remember our study of Hebrews when we looked at the children of Israel in chapter 3 and 4? There's an example of a people that refused to trust God. And instead of trusting God, they became bitter with God. And they spent their time complaining against God, railing against God. And as a result of their critical spirit, as a result of their complaining, as a result of their bitterness, as a result of their lack of faith, their lack of trust, their unwillingness, did they ever make it to the promised land, that generation? No. They never saw that finished cake that God wanted to present to them. And so I'm just encouraging you as a believer. God loves you. And I know many times we can question that in light of what we're going through. And we often do struggle with those questions. Is God really fair? Does He really care about me? And I'm just trying to give you a resounding answer. And it's yes, He loves you. He cares. He's at work in your life, even when you can't see it. Put your trust in Him. And I guarantee He'll take the yucky and the good, mix it all together, put it in His oven of affliction, and as you trust Him and as you wait, as you're patient, as you endure, as you persevere, God is going to bring out a good cake in the end. Amen? Father, thank You for the wonderful truth of this message, very 
simple message, but I trust one that has really um, stuck deep into our hearts. And I, I pray that even uh, from this point on, we'll never be able to look at a cake, taste a cake, without remembering this truth and using it as a prompt uh, to thank God, uh, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we're going through, knowing that God loves us and that God is causing all things to work for our good, uh, to make us more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to build our hearts, His heart in our hearts. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.